This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Reed Redmond. I'm Will Johnson. The show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. This week on True Crime Chronicles. Who killed Haley Dunn? It's a question we've all been asking for more than 10 years now. Now looking back on it, it, pretty strange things going on within the home before her disappearance. I think about what happened to Haley every day of my life. What could have happened to her? Who did this? Anytime somebody says the word Haley Dunn, it kind of feels like a scar is being irritated again. It hurts to know that maybe the answer was right under our nose this entire time is it is frustrating um, and that that's hard to reconcile but you know the, the wheels of justice are, are turning and um, that is I think where a lot of people are finding peace or trying to find some peace in in such a tragic story that you know, maybe we'll finally have our justice. 13-year-old Haley Dunn disappeared from her hometown in Texas back in December of 2010. Now, more than 10 years later, the suspect is behind bars and facing murder charges. And here we are, you know, more than 11 years later, and what was revealed weeks after her disappearance is what was finally confirmed just a few weeks ago. 11 years and a couple days. December 26th, 2010. The last time anyone would see Haley Dunn alive. Friends say Haley was outgoing and active. She was a cheerleader and also played softball and basketball at her middle school in Colorado City, Texas, a small town in the western part of the state. When you think of West Texas and the area, it's a very remote, very small town. Everybody knows everyone you know it's it's a quintessential small town in west texas tatum gwen is an anchor at news west 9 in midland texas about two hours from colorado city in colorado city it's um you know a farming community a lot of people work in the oil and gas industry as you move out further east where colorado city is um you get more into uh ranching cattle ranching and and farming out there so uh that's kind of what drives the community there. If it's not, if you're not in oil, you're probably working out on the land in some capacity. And on that December day, just after Christmas in 2010, Haley left her mom's house where she lived with her mom, Billy Dunn, and her mom's boyfriend, Sean Atkins. She said that she was going to go over to her father's house, but then never made it. And then there was a question of Someone had said at one point that she was going to go over to a friend's house, but then never made it. You know, what we know is she left the house to go somewhere, either to her father or to her friend's house, um, but never made it, never showed up. On December 27th, the following day, Haley was reported missing, and the search began. I remember there was not a day for about about a year that we did not talk about Haley Dunn. It really consumed our entire region. We had crews out there uh, every day for a really long time, and it really just captured the attention of our entire region for um, for a significant amount of time, and people just asking the question, where where is Haley? This really was one of the biggest uh, stories to, to hit West Texas um, in, in a really, really long time, maybe since you know, baby Jessica, when she fell down the well back in the 80s. 
So this was a really big deal. And the news of Haley's disappearance consumed the close-knit community. You know, you just see the face of a young teenager. She was 13, 14 at the time. And, um, you know, a little cheerleader. You know, who who would do something to a young, innocent junior high student? Um, There's tons of search and rescue teams and um, people coming from all over the country to try and look for this little girl. In the days following her disappearance, investigators brought in Haley's mom, Billy Dunn, and her mom's boyfriend, Sean Atkins, for interviews. A lot of attention was put on um, her mother, Billy, and her boyfriend at the time, Sean Atkins. Um, there was a lot of focus put on them, really right from the from the get-go of her being reported missing. So right within the first few weeks, just one person of interest, and really the only person of interest in this case, was uh, Haley Dunn's mother's boyfriend, Sean. All eyes were on him. Both he and Billy uh, were brought into the sheriff's office, the police department, several times to have conversations with investigators to, one, you know, try to you know get a handle on, so when was the last time Haley was seen? What exactly happened? What did they know? You know was she upset? Was there an argument? You know, what happened? Um, and th- they never really quite kept a cut their story straight. Um, they did submit to a polygraph. And I remember being able to get, um, we were able to get those court documents at the time and they revealed some pretty um, dark, pretty shocking information in that. Um, yeah, according to, the, and I'm quoting the, the affidavit itself, yeah, investigators found several inconsistencies and in statements made by Sean Adkins and also reported suspicious behavior by him on and around the day of her disappearance. Um, They took several polygraph examinations, um, and each Billy and Sean walked out several times of them. Um, And this was within just weeks of her going missing. And the details of what happened during those polygraph tests were troubling. Uh, On the first two occasions that... Sean Adkins had showed up for a polygraph. He ended it by walking out and then refused to cooperate with the investigator. And then on the third time that he came in to take a polygraph test, um, in the first stage of that test, the result was that he was being deceptive. And then during the same test, um, again, quoting the affidavit, Adkins had indicated that Haley Dunn could be found in Scurry County, which uh, was the neighboring county of where she initially went missing. And then when investigators asked him for a second time if he knew where Haley was, he then refused to answer the question. And then when they asked who they should be looking at in regards to where Haley Haley's disappearance, he said both of us, which implied both he and Billy's mom. And then when Billy's mother submitted to her test, she was found to be under the influence of narcotics, and then they would not allow her to continue. And then on a second occasion, she failed the polygraph examination. And when they asked Billy Dunn to explain her results, she couldn't explain why she failed, and then she walked out of the interview. Investigators would eventually reveal other factors and possible indications of suspicious behavior that would play into naming Sean Adkins a person of interest in Haley's disappearance. Um, the day that she was reported missing, Adkins had 
quit his job and then he went to his mom's house uh, in, a, in a neighboring town about an hour away from Colorado City. Um, but according to cell phone pings, investigators found that Atkins first made a stop in Colorado City before he went on. And then there was a New Year's Eve party held at the house where Haley lived with her mom and Sean Atkins. So New Year's Eve of that year, uh, Sean and Haley's mother had a New Year's Eve party at their house. You know, all the while there was a massive uh, search for her daughter. They had people over. And then during a search of the home, investigators found a box. With hundreds of documents about crimes. And the, the documents covered mass murders, serial killers, sexual sadists, murders of family members, uh, motives for major cases and, and other topics around that very dark things. And uh, in the affidavit, Billy told investigators that all of those things were really just a hobby of theirs. There have been other instances of, of violence, I guess, inside the home. There was a domestic dispute reported in February of the year that she went missing, um, where Sean had threatened to kill Haley's mother and Haley. And he, in, he initially denied that statement, but went on to confirm that he did say that. So there, there had been some problems within the home that year and then some odd behavior. At the time, after being named a person of interest in Haley's disappearance, Sean Atkins spoke out about the accusation, claiming he would never harm the team, telling the Associated Press that he prayed daily for Haley's safe return. But despite what investigators were turning up and the polygraph results, it wasn't enough to charge anyone at the time, and Haley's disappearance went unsolved. But then in March of 2013, the search for Haley Dunn came to an end. So a rancher came across the remains, and what he found was a skull, a tooth, and a femur. Tatum Gwynn remembers hearing that remains had been found in Scurry County near Lake J.B. Thomas, about 25 miles from where she'd disappeared, on land owned by Sean Atkins' family. It was a Sunday evening. I, I was working weekends at the time, and we had got a phone call. And, and granted, we got a lot of phone calls saying, hey, this may be Haley. But I remember this one and thinking, this is interesting. There were a, there was a heavy police presence at Lake J.B. Thomas, which is around in that area in Scurry County. And um, I you called my news director and said, hey, we got a call. I don't know. This, this one, it may be worth checking out. So lucky me, I you worked the Sunday night show. Got home at 11. I was back up at 4 a.m. in the car driving to Scurry County. <laughs> and um, I remember there was a DPS trooper uh, at the entrance to, to the lake. And um, we weren't allowed to go any further. And I, you, I'm a brand new reporter at this point And just, you know, go back to the car, sit there a few minutes, make some calls. And then go back out to the trooper, just trying to get friendly and just saying, hey, is this something that we need to pay attention to? Am I going to be out here for a while? And he was quiet for a second and looked back at me and said, you're going to be here for a while, kid. So that's when I knew, yeah, this might be something. So I remember that day, a very long day, going back and forth into the little town in Scurry County. It was Snyder. I remember going in there and making phone calls to the sheriff to really anybody trying to call the district clerk's office to see if, hey, had there been paperwork filed? You know, what are they doing out there? Can we get in? 
you know, any further past this trooper, you know, at the entrance. Never could. But um, all signs pointed that that this wasn't just you know, human remains being found. This was part of something bigger. It took a few weeks, but uh, about two or three weeks after those remains were found, it was then confirmed that, yes, it was Haley Dunn. And you know, I'll note, she was found initially where Sean Adkins said that she would be in his first polygraph test. In addition to being in a remote area, it had taken time for the remains to appear. This was a, a lake bed, and there had been a massive drought in our area, and a lot of the lake bed had dried up. And so between the time of her going missing and when they found her, um, her, her remains had been de- decomposed tremendously, taking weeks to identify her. And then from based off of that, it's really hard. It was really hard to try to link him then because we were essentially working with just bones. And the only reason they were able to find her and come across her was because of the drought. They weren't able to find her when she initially went missing because there was water and vegetation and there wasn't when they found her again. So there was a lot of, you know, change to the weather and the the area where she was and um, a lot of time had passed. The remains were sent to the University of North Texas Medical Center. That's where using dental records, her remains were first identified. And then they were stored for further DNA analysis. It would be a few more years when Haley Dunn was finally laid to rest in 2017. And the search for Haley's killer continued. There's a $15,000 reward for information leading to an arrest and the murder of Haley Dunn. If you think you have any information that could help, call Sergeant John McDaniel with the Scurry County District Attorney's Office. That number there on your screen, 325-573-2462. The home where Haley Dunn had lived with her mother was eventually demolished. Just because it was just a, one, a sad reminder, and two, it had, it had turned into um, a drug home. So there have been some things, you know, within the community over the years. There was that. There have been several vigils. She's been very top of mind in this community for a long time. Haley's case was transferred to Scurry County, where she'd been found, and a new lead investigator took over. Lead investigator John McDaniel was in the office the day we stopped by, but did not want to go on camera. He did have this to say. He said, it's not a cold case. I review this case several times a year, and we have not received any new or substantial leads. And Haley's father, Clint Dunn, kept Haley's case alive in the public eye and behind the scenes, even hiring a private investigator along the way, and doing his best to raise his other daughter, Haley's younger sister, in the shadow of Haley's death. Haley's father was very outspoken and has been that he felt like they knew something that happened or knew what had happened to Haley, knew more than what they were letting on. I want my daughter to have a normal life because she doesn't have a normal life either. She hears, she knows that her sister was killed and she hears me talking about it all the time, talking on the phone to somebody to a reporter or to a radio show. She hears me doing the Facebook Live videos. I had her hold the camera for me one time. Um, She doesn't have a normal life. This has affected her as much as it has anybody else that, 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 that this has hurt. She sees counselors and therapists. She's had it hard. And I don't want her to have it hard no more. I want her to have a little bit of normal life. 
But ultimately, it wasn't a private investigator or a tip from the public that would lead to an arrest. Towards the end of 2020, um, the DA in a, another neighboring county, see, all of these areas are very small towns and all the counties work together. So the district attorney out of Nolan County, which is another neighboring county to this area, um, had gotten information. We don't know what information it was, but he had some and made a call to the Texas Rangers and urged them to take another look at this case. So they, they reopened it, took a renewed look, and then they went and found Sean Adkins, took a DNA sample from him, and based off of the DNA that they were able to take off of Haley's remains and take the DNA from Sean, they were able to finally link it. And it appears to have been, you know, just waiting on the technology to develop in order for us to get an answer, a break in this case. Hello everyone, we have breaking news tonight. It's been 10 and a half years since the disappearance of a Colorado City teen, Haley Dunn. Just moments ago, we learned a man who was once named a person of interest in the case has been arrested. This is a developing story that we've been keeping a close eye on all evening. Sean Adkins' bail is set at $2 million. With the confirmation that Sean Adkins has been booked into the Mitchell County Jail today and that for the murder of Haley Dunn. I hope he rots in hell. He'll get what he deserves. The arrest of Sean Adkins is what the community of Colorado City has been waiting on for a long time and perhaps will go a long ways towards closure and healing. It was June 14th of last year when Sean Adkins, now 35 years old, was taken into custody by the Texas Rangers. He was in another small town uh, called Big Spring. That's where his mother had been living. And that is where deputies in Big Spring, Howard County, they were able to pick him up. And um, he was originally booked into the Howard County Jail and then extradited to Mitchell County, which is where Colorado City is. So he stayed in the area the entire time. Following the arrest, family and friends gathered once again to honor Haley's memory. A vigil was held on the property where Haley's home once stood. It really was a night of reflection and remembering the young girl who captured the heart of a community. We had the opportunity to hear just a few moments ago from one of Haley's best friends who spoke and shared some of the memories that uh, she had of Haley. And she described Haley as a very bright, very caring and loving person. She said that anyone who was around Haley was guaranteed to be smiling and laughing. That was just her personality. Now you'll notice some of the people are wearing uh, orange shirts and there's also orange and purple balloons hanging from one of the tables. Those colors were chosen by Haley's class in her memory. Uh, orange was the color the search team wore on their shirts and the purple was Haley's favorite color. And also you'll see on people's lapels is a ribbon made of of uh, orange and purple uh, ribbon as well. So those are to honor Haley's memory also. I don't want to see this turn out like Kaylee Anthony's case. I said that from day one. If, if they arrest him and we go to court or they go to court and stuff, I want them to have their rock solid evidence. I don't want him to walk free. On December 30th of 2021, six months after his arrest and just over 11 years, after Haley Dunn went missing, a Mitchell County, Texas grand jury officially indicted Sean Casey Adkins for Haley Dunn's murder, stating Adkins committed, quote, homicide 
intentionally and knowingly concealing a human corpse with intent to impair its availability as evidence in any subsequent investigation or official proceeding related to the offense. We just found this out based off of the indictment that came down on December 30th. Haley's cause of death was um, blunt force trauma to the head. Over the years, reporters have asked if there was ever any indication of sexual assault in the case. In these kind of cases, I mean, even back, ranging back all the way to 2010, there's there's a lot of there was a lot of talk at the time, and you know, for us. I remember there was a lot of conversation of let's just the only thing and the most responsible thing to do was only report um, what is official statement. And there was never any indication through court documents and conversations with family on the record that indicated that there may have been some sort of um, sexual assault to Haley. That was that has never been official. But the arrest and the recent indictment have brought some sense of closure to the community and those who knew Haley Dunn. We may never know what exactly happened to Haley in the final day, final moments of her short life. Um, you know, we can only hope that maybe we get more details of that in court when justice is finally being served. Um, and it's been so long and that this, this poor community um, deserves more answers. You know, that this has really marked this community. You know, anytime anyone drives through Colorado City, it's, oh, that's the town where the young cheerleader went missing. For some, it's taken far too long for police to make an arrest to charge someone who was named a person of interest in the case over 10 years ago. Yeah, that, that has been the most... A frustrating part is because it feels like, you know, in the court of public opinion, and you know, that's always a you know, dangerous game to play, but it had just, it has felt like it has been under our nose this entire time. And that where she was found was an area that all of these search groups had looked, and she wasn't that far from home this entire time. Um, that, that is hard to come to grips with. And you know, that's just coming from a, a news reporter's perspective. Think about the community. She was there the whole time, and so was he. That's hard. You know, over the past 11 years, there have been you know, a handful of times that uh, these groups, a lot of it led by Haley's father uh, and other advocates for Haley who have brought this back up, you know, brought it back into trying into the media or back to lie, trying to you know, put a renewed focus on it. And it just never seemed to be enough. And um, then, you know, some information came to light last year where Texas Rangers did take another look at it and were able to get evidence this time. Sean Atkins now sits behind bars with a $2 million bond. And as with anyone charged with a crime, in the eyes of the law, Sean Atkins is innocent until proven guilty. So we're at the very beginning stages of of all of the court proceedings. Hey, True Crime Chronicles listeners, Reed Redmond here joining Will to close this episode out. Will, I want to ask more about the arrest here. And my big question is, why now? What new evidence might have led to this arrest that investigators wouldn't have had back in 2013, 2014 for, for years? Yeah, well, as we heard from Tatum Gwynn at News West 9, there was a prosecutor from a neighboring county who started looking into this case more recently, and there was renewed interest. But 
to be more specific and to answer your question, Atkins was identified as the suspect following several interviews with people, is our understanding, and the Texas Rangers obtained a search warrant for his DNA, ultimately resulting in his arrest. Something else that comes up in this case, and that seems to come up in, in the majority of the cases that we cover, is the phrase person of interest, not not a suspect, but a person of interest. And that's a term that that really isn't easy to define, maybe doesn't have a definition, but can you help us understand a little bit more about where that phrase comes from and how it's actually used? Yeah, it really does come up a lot, doesn't it? And Madison Stacy at our partner station WTHR in Indianapolis looked into this not so long ago. And as she points out in her reporting, according to U.S. law, person of interest has no legal definition. So it's a term that's used when investigators want to indicate that they're interested in speaking with someone or they're interested in someone in an investigation, but they just don't have the evidence to charge that person. So police may be suspicious of them. They just don't have that necessary evidence that's needed to charge them with the crime. There's been questions about when this term first was used. A lot of experts point to Atlanta security guard Richard Jewell and the use of this term when they referred to him as being potentially responsible for the Olympic Park bombing back in 1996. Of course, Richard Jewell was later cleared. He sued in one thousands on the claim that his reputation was ruined. So, you know, the term is controversial because it certainly can paint someone in a certain light, even when they may be innocent of a crime. Right. And just to comment on that a little further, the term person of interest technically doesn't accuse anyone of anything like the term suspect does. But where that can be a problem is that the people hearing it don't necessarily know that in their mind, they might just equate the term person of interest to suspect. And in that way, it can kind of serve as a way for law enforcement to effectively call somebody a suspect without having to use the word, particularly in cases where they don't have the evidence to actually go out and make that arrest. For example, if police come out at a press conference and say, hey, we're contacting the victim's sister to see if she has any information, that sounds pretty harmless. But if they come out and they say, the victim's sister is a person of interest, the words that they're saying don't technically suggest anything different, but the message that they're sending is very different. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, a suspect is very much a legal term, meaning someone who's been formally announced as being under investigation by authorities and is someone they consider suspicious. So in a case where you have a suspect, there's probable cause, actual evidence for an arrest. And then once authorities say that someone's a suspect, then they have to read Miranda rights, which lets the person, of course, know that any statements or admissions can and will be used in a court of law. All right. Thank you, Will. And thanks as well to Tatum Gwynn at News West 9 in Midland, Odessa, Texas. You bet. And be sure to check out our daily podcast. If you haven't already, The Daily Crime, we have new stories, new cases almost every weekday, Monday through Friday. And Reed and I will be back next week with a new case and a new story.